Well, there was a book written a number of years ago by a psychologist named Richard Wiseman. And he wrote the book. It's called, Did You See the Gorilla? And what he did was a, a little experiment. And the experiment was this. He, it was a 30-second video of two basketball teams going at it. He told them, the audience that he was working with, to watch this 30-second video and count how many times each team passed the ball. He also told them something else. He said, as you watch, keep count of what's happening with the team. But he didn't tell them at about halfway through the video, there would be a gorilla on the screen, on the court, and this gorilla would be pounding his chest. So he shows this 30-second video. All these people are fixated on counting the number of times each team passes the ball. Well, when he asked them, did you see the gorilla? Most of the viewers did not see the gorilla on the screen. I thought, what a picture of what life is like today and what life is like as we study the book of Revelation. There's this stuff going on, but we get fixated on some of the wrong things and we miss the gorilla. Well, you know, we started this series in Revelation 12 a couple of weeks ago, and the gorilla that I'm going to point to today is the devil, and some of us are missing the devil and his work. Well, if you have your Bible or an app or some way to get the scriptures in front of you, I want to encourage you to do this. Now, we're in the book of Revelation, and as you're turning on your device or pulling up the app or opening your scriptures, uh, what I want to do is just say a little bit, some people avoid reading the book of Revelation. They avoid it because they're afraid. They're like, I don't understand these symbols. I don't understand these pictures. And, and I said a couple weeks ago when we first started this series was that we need to dwell in Scripture because almost all the pictures are coming right out of the Bible themselves. So if we would just read our Bible, dwell in our Scriptures, then we would begin to see these pictures. Now, also, let me say this. Because these pictures are sometimes so dramatic, it creates an intensity in the believer's life. And it's supposed to do that. That's what apocalyptic literature does. It, it brings us into these big, bold pictures that God wants us to have. He wants to fuel our imagination to intensify our walk with God. Now there's a swath of the global church that reads or looks at Revelation as a book and says, well, from chapter 4 all the way to the end, essentially it's about the end times, and we don't always know exactly when Jesus is going to return, so it's only about that and it's not helpful. And I want to say that is not a helpful way to read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written to people like you and me. It was written so that we could persevere in difficult times. In the first century, John, the apostle, wrote the book of Revelation. It's towards the end of his life. That's where most of the evidence points. And he is probably in his late 80s. It's in the early 90s. So it's at, towards the end of the first century. And 
the church, people were being persecuted. There were tensions in the Roman Empire. People were moving against believers. And so what God did was give us a book that would kindle, fuel, incite our imagination of all that God is doing and do it in a way that we would remember. So one other little piece that may help was there was about 400 years where this apocalyptic literature was starting to be written in different forms. And so this is just part of the times that uh, the first century was going through when this literature was being written. So I want to keep encouraging you, read the book of Revelation. Ask God to speak to your heart now as, as we read this and study it because it's for us for times like we're in right now. So I'm going to pick up Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time times and half a time out of the serpent's reach then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And let's just catch this last phrase at the beginning of chapter 13. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Father, as we study your word today, would you stir our imaginations? Would you let us get a better picture of what you're doing, but what's happening? So God, would you speak to us today? And would you cause us, as it says in those final verses, to keep your commands and to hold fast to the testimony about Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get into this, remember, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that there's a story behind the story. So verses 1 to 6 in chapter 12 is really the story behind the story, so that we understand that what we see out in the world isn't all that's happening. Or, as we see in the opening illustration, there's a gorilla to be looking for. Now, most people are familiar with the story of Job. And if you read the story of Job, and in this you'll get the idea of the story behind the story. If you read the opening chapter of the book of Job, you're going to find that the oxen were plowing the field, there were donkeys that were grazing, and then all of a sudden the Sabaeans come and attack and haul off the oxen and the donkeys and then kill the servants. Well, the story keeps unfolding because what happens next is, is the camels are out there and, and they get stolen by the Chaldeans and more servants are killed. And then Job's children, they're feasting in the house. And this great wind comes and all the kids die. 
And so we get into this tragic story of a man who loses everything, and he's in despair. Now, if I asked you, what was it that caused the servants to get killed or the oxen to be stolen or the donkeys to be taken away or the children to be killed, you would say, well, as I read the story, it was the wind that caused all this. You would say it was the Chaldeans, it was the Sabaeans, it was these external things. But you and I know that the story has something going on that is behind that story. The story is that the devil himself went to God and got permission to attack Job. So if I ask the question, which is true? Was it the wind that killed Job's children, or was it the devil? You would say, well, both are true. And that's true. But if I asked you another question, I said, now which is more fundamental? Which is more basic? You would say, well, the devil, because he was behind the attacks. He was behind all these different things that happened to Job's family. Well, we have a lot of stuff going on in our culture today. I don't have to review everything, but remember hashtag me too. And we look at how so many women were sexually exploited. It's just devastating what's happening to women around our country. And, and women very young in age, all the way up, older. And, and we see this. And, and it's, it's terrible. It's destructive. And all of us should be grieved by the abuse of power. The destructive nature that's in the human heart that would do this to women. But that, that's one part of it. Then we, we saw our country ripped apart in racism and, and issues of race that is just terrible. Where people aren't valued because of maybe the color of their skin or the language they speak or where they live. And, and then we start getting into these arguments and division. And it, it's ripping the fabric of our country apart. We can talk about transgenderism and the confusion and the questions in uh, sexual dysphoria or gender dysphoria and, and terrible stuff. People going on and dealing with these things psychological, psychologically and they're real and they're painful and they're confusing and it's hard for families. It's hard for moms and dads. It's hard for the children. It's hard going through this. And so we look at, at these different elements that are, that are taking place. We look at sexual fluidity and, and what's going on there. We look at what's happening in the area of marriage, right? The, this list is big. It's expansive. And those are the things that we see. But what we miss is what's driving all of this. And that's what this passage is bringing us to. And so this morning, as we go deeper into the text, I just want to encourage you. We're going to do some texting at the end. You may have some questions. You may have some things that uh, aren't clear. You want understanding. So you're going to see a number come up on the screen. So you can text. You can text anytime during the message. I want to encourage you to participate in that. And as we go forward, uh, at any point, send that text. I'll get them, and we'll have time at the end of the message to enter or, or engage in some of that. This morning, I want to make two points. The first one is this. It, it's the idea that uh, dining with the devil 
is dangerous. Now, dining with the devil is really dangerous. It was Peter Berger who said this, if you're going to sup with the devil, make sure you're using a long spoon. <laughs> so I just want us to be on high alert. I don't want us to miss the gorilla. The gorilla is there. The devil is active. Things are happening. And sometimes we get so preoccupied with counting other things that really are not the main issue. And we don't see the destructive things underneath. Now, this is only one part of the behind the story, but this is a big part. So as we look at this, what I want to do is we've just read the passage, and there's several terms that came out, pictures, and you're like, now what does all this mean? So what I'd like to do is go to this picture, uh, these quadrants that will help you uh, follow this. We, we saw in verse 14, two wings of a great eagle. Now when we read that, what it's talking about is God's power. And I'm going to show you in a few moments where this is coming out of Scripture. Remember I said we need to dwell in Scripture. Another one is water like a river. And so we're going to see where that's coming from and how this is sometimes a picture of the destruction and distress, persecution that we feel. And we'll see exactly how it's being used in this passage. Another one is a strange one, the earth helped the woman. Now last week we talked, or two weeks ago, we talked about the woman, that is the people of God, and today we'll see a little better about the earth and how the earth is sometimes a uh, way that it's stated here that God is helping his people. He is protecting his people. And then the last one, the word see, chapter 13, verse 1, we saw that word, and that is the idea that there are powers of evil at work. So these are the pictures, and so what I'd like to do is take a moment and not only understand these, but make sure that we see a little bit of how they're rooted in Scripture so that you can read the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, and begin to see how they play into the New Testament as we're reading this book of Revelation. Now, let me just say one more thing. Some of us have our Bibles, and it says the word woman. And sometimes at the beginning of chapter 12, it'll say the woman is Israel. Now, I don't know if you have a caption like that, but that can be misleading. I think it's better to see it as God's people. Now, why do I say that? Well, because when we first read in chapter 12, we begin reading about the woman, it does seem a little bit like it's talking about the people of God, the Old Testament, or we could say Israel. But by the time we get to the section we read today, it becomes really clear that the woman is also the church. You can't read verse 17 without seeing that it's talking about the church, that the woman is the church. So I think it's better to look at this woman as the people of God, right? That was the picture we talked about a couple weeks ago, and it's brought here. So now let me go back. I said I wanted to look at some of these, these pictures in the Old Testament. So let's go to the first one here, and we can look a little closer at this, and that is... It says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, it says, I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Notice the idea of eagles' wings. That becomes significant in Exodus. This is God speaking to Moses. And remember, the Israelites, the people of God, had just come, in out, had just come out of Egypt 
And God is telling Moses that he is the I here, and God is saying, I carried you on eagle's wings. Well, isn't that true of what we read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14? It says, the woman was given these two wings of a great eagle. So what we begin to see is that God is behind this and that God provides it. Well, that's not the only place where we see it. Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, In a desert land he found him like an eagle again that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, right? You get this picture of this eagle protecting the people that spreads its wings to catch them and carry them aloft. Another picture of God protecting his people. And it's God who carries them aloft. This picture of protection, provision, and care. Well, we get the last one. Many of us are familiar in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And some of us are familiar, it goes on. They will soar on wings like eagles. And so here again, it's the Lord who will renew their strength. It's the Lord who causes them to soar on wings like eagles. So this becomes a common picture for us to look at, a picture of rescue, a picture of God's provision, a picture of God's help. So let me take us to another one, and this is a picture of persecution, right? So we look in Psalm 18, verse 4, and this idea of the torrents of destruction, right? These these rivers, this gushing, flowing river of destruction. And now this is a psalm that David wrote, and he was talking about a time when King Saul was pursuing him and there were other enemies of David that were chasing him and wanting to kill him and he uses this idea of a picture, a torrent of destruction that overwhelmed him. We see again in Psalm 32 verse 6 the rise of the mighty waters and in context again it's a picture of destruction. Or we'll see in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the great prophet He uses another one, when you pass through the waters, right? You get this idea of rivers again. I will be with you. So there's this promise of while these waters, these rivers are overflowing their banks and they're flooding and destroying, that God will be there when you pass through. And he actually uses the idea of rivers here. So we begin to see that there's this picture of rivers, and we'll see a little closer in a moment, how it is used in Revelation chapter 12. Let me uh, do uh, one more, a picture of protection, right? So we said that the earth. Now, I know when you read Revelation chapter 12 and you hear the earth, it's a strange picture. The earth helped the woman. I mean, what a strange way to say. But again, if you dwell in Scripture, you'll see back in Exodus, there was this time when they're coming through the waters and they're singing a song the Israelites the people of God were excited about God's deliverance and in the song it says the earth swallows your enemies that's found in Exodus 15:12 well that was a picture of the waters of the red sea when they uh, flowed over the Egyptian army 
except here it uses the word earth. So it's a picture that we see where the earth comes alongside in, in a way that the song writes uh, about the earth protecting God's people. Or we see it in Numbers chapter 16. This is a rebellion against Moses. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. Now certainly when we read that in context, it's not only the protection, but God was removing some people too so that they could no longer hinder God's people. So it was a, a way of providing for God's people even as the earth opened its mouth and did the swallowing up of Korah and his rebellion. So as we look at these different things, we see that the scriptures are, are bringing us into this place. So if you'll come back with me in verse 14, we see that the woman, right, the woman was given the two wings of protection. This, this was a gift from God to provide for his people so that she might fly to the place prepared for her, which is in the wilderness. And we talked about that last week, that the wilderness is the picture of sometimes God provision and God protecting. And the eagle, or the picture here, is that God is bringing it. God is taking care of his people in the midst of persecution, in the midst of what's going on right now, where there's so much distress, so much trial, it's the Lord that is taking care of us. Since I commented about last time, about the time, times, and half a time, just by way of reminder, is that that is the same as the number of days, 1260 days or three and a half years. That's tied back to 1 Kings chapter 17 where God was going to bring a drought because the people were drifting. And God, because he loves his people, was doing something unique through the prophet Elijah. And so there was a season. And so when we read this, the Israelites, the people of God, would read this and they would be familiar that God was doing something to bring them back to him, that their hearts would be right with God. So the book of Revelation is trying to do that and that there's a way to do it in bringing us into the wilderness. Then we see also the passage, it goes on and says that she would be taken care of. Notice the past passive tense of this. She would be taken care of, right? So this is God at work out of the serpent's reach. So the devil would not have completely his way. Now, when it says that the serpent spewed water like a river, we've talked about this torrent. The devil is the father of lies. And he lies to everyone. He's lying to the world about issues of marriage. He's lying to the world about some of these issues of gender. He's lying to the world in all these different ways about sexuality. And it's confusing. And it's confusing not only the world, but it's confusing God's people. So when it says that it spewed him, uh, these, these things like a river out of his mouth, they're talking about lies. And that the devil is the father of lies. And he was trying to overtake the woman. He was trying to destroy God's people. And that's what's happening today, and we see it in the church as well, is that the enemy is seeking to divide people in the church. He's trying to destroy the church. He's trying to, look what it says, sweep her away with the torrent. And that is all the work of the enemy. 
There's a quote by Nietzsche who said this, tell a lie once and all your truths become questionable. There's another lie or, or someone given a quote about lies. I'm not sure who to attribute to, but it says this, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. And I think that that's what's happening in our culture today, is there's so many lies, there's so many half-truths, there's so much confusion, it just keeps getting repeated and repeated and repeated. Now, rather than me pointing fingers at certain people in our culture, what I want us to see today is that behind the scene, don't miss the gorilla, there is a devil at work who is the father of lies. Well, let's look at the last section very, very quickly here, and then we'll move to some time of texting. Look what John wrote. He said, but the earth helped the woman. We talked about this, that the earth was moved by God to help the woman, the people of God, swallowing the river. Remember, the river is getting spewed out of the devil, the father of lies. And so the Lord, God, is giving you and me truth, truth so that we can live by his power and his strength, his word, rather than the lies of the world. Then the dragon was enraged. Of course, the more we rely on the power of God, the more we turn to the word of God, the more we look to God to carry us through these difficult times, give us perspective, help us understand all these different things with love and truth. This just enrages, enrages the devil. And I said last time, in the book of Revelation, ultimately, the battle that's being described is not a battle between God and Satan. I mean, it's a little bit like the devil is a bug on your arm and you just flick it off. That's what God did. He just flicked the devil off and he sent him to the earth. And the battle is taking place right here on planet earth against God's people. That's the story that we're getting into and what's happening. Well, then it says that the devil went on to wage war against the rest of her offspring. And that is what is so important for us, is that we need to see that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a battle for the souls of people. But look how he describes her offspring. He says, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. That's how we know that the woman here is not just the people of Israel, but it's the church. That God is looking to us to keep his commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. Now that last phrase in chapter 13, verse 1, we're going to pick up next week because that gets even more exciting to see where God is taking us. Well, I said there was two points. Here's my second point, and that is that God supplies the strength to persevere. I tried to show you this in the passage that God 
uh, gave the women, gave the woman the two wings of the eagle, right? God is the one who allowed the earth to swallow up, right? These are the things. God is the one who drained the river of lies from coming from the devil. It's God who supplies the strength. Well, how does he do this? I want to give us a couple things, and you've heard me say this several times, but something's happening in our culture, and I want to even say our Christian culture. The way we persevere is, first of all, by the authority of the Bible. What the Bible says is authoritative, it's strong, and it's true. It never lies. There are no lies out of God's mouth in the Bible. But what's happening in our culture today is there's a subtlety of an undermining of the Word of God. And it comes in subtle ways. Maybe you follow a famous author and you've really appreciated the way she writes or the way he writes. But all of a sudden, this author starts writing some things that are a little bit on the fringes. And because you've loved this author so much, because you've followed her so closely, you just start imbibing these things. And what that does is it starts undermining the authority of Scripture. Or maybe we see it in another way, is it, and this has happened, and churches have a lot to blame on this, is that churches avoid these hard topics. And so what happens is we never really learn and grow about issues of sexuality and gender. And so when churches avoid these hard topics of racism and, and these different things of sexual abuse, then what happens is people begin to subtly question the authority of the Word of God, just like it's, it's not appropriate for today. And what I want to encourage you to, to fight against this, to resist this, is that we have to be reading how the church operated outside of our times. In other words, let's read older books, older commentaries, older writings about the scriptures so that we're outside of our time so that we can begin to see that people are interpreting and misunderstanding what the church has understood for 2,000 years. So we can resist this, but as a church at Fox Valley, I want you to know, I believe and hold to the absolute authority of the Word of God, that it is a Bible given to us by God without error, so that we can have confident, confidence in everything that's there. Let me say another area too, to help us be strengthened by the way, way God uh, wants to strengthen us, and that's the church. God has given us the church, each other, the people of God. I have godly men and godly women around me that are in conversation with me about these topics, about these issues. That's why church is so important. That's why I say don't go it alone. We need to be around the church. And Fox Valley Church, one of the things I love about this body, among many things, is that there's, there's multiple generations and we can learn from each other. It's not only that I learn from people that have been there before me and have done different things because they're older, but I love learning from the new generation, the young generation. They have such great insight, great wisdom that we can draw upon. And so as a church, this is one of the provisions God has given us to grow spiritually. And let me just hit the last one uh, before we go into some texting. And that is 
the Spirit of God. We need to rely on the Spirit of God. There's lots of ways to talk about this, but the Spirit of God is here to lead us, to direct us, to guide us into the truth of God's Word. And so the Spirit is, is the comforter, the one who comes alongside, the one that dwells in our hearts to help lead us into truth, to help us love people as they struggle with gender questions, as gender dysphoria. These are real issues. These are serious times, and we need to understand. We need to listen to people. We need to love them even as we point them to the truth of God's word and the spirit will allow us to do that. Let me just remind you that in 1 Corinthians it says this that God is not a God of confusion. Just said a little differently, the spirit is not a spirit of confusion. The spirit is a, the God of clarity, the God of truth. Well, hey, a lot of texts are coming in. I want to turn and go there and hit some of these uh, text. You can continue to text them in. Uh, but let me go ahead and uh, read this. Here's the first question that came in. How do I learn to recognize the devil? That's a great question. At work, when I'm very, very tunnel vision, focused on my routine and way of life. Let me just say, that that is a great question, right? I'm trying to point us that we need to dwell in the Word of God. Why? Because that's how we get out of tunnel vision. God has written a big story from Genesis all the way to the end of the story, Revelation. And when we read the Bible from start to finish, we begin to see and get the wisdom of God. We begin to see the earmarks and handprints of God himself. So some of us may remember the story is when you think about trying to locate or find counterfeits, you don't have people study counterfeit money. You want people to study the real deal so that when the false comes in, then, because you've so studied the true, the real, the authentic, you can identify the false. There will be no substitute for studying and dwelling in Scripture. Now let me say something secondly. It's important that we have this godly community around us. As we are talking about it, we are so much less likely to be deceived by the devil. And so these are two things that I think will help all of us, myself included, these are the things that I'm doing to help move against the uh, work of the enemy. Let me just repeat real quickly, dwell in Scripture, all of it, Genesis, all the way to Re Revelation, and then surround yourself with some people. God has given you the Spirit of God, and the Spirit will impress upon you things if you're open, if you're listening. And let me just put another plug in for Before the Throne. That's where we practice listening to God. So I want to encourage you to participate in that as well. Let me go on to another question here. Why is the devil so many different things? Great question because he's uh, one, the father of lies, but he disguises himself, it says, as an angel of light. So what he wants to do is work out all these different disguises. So sometimes he's described as a murderer, sometimes a liar, sometimes his name means deceiver, right? So all of these things begin to give us a 
full picture of who our enemy really is. And so it's important, again, dwelling in Scripture, we begin to see that he's the serpent of old, that it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that he is the one who led that first couple astray. He is the one who deceived them, and he tries to deceive us. So what God does is gives us this fuller picture. Now, let me just say a little bit more. All of us, as human beings, are complex. Very difficult. And we've seen this, especially in the past year and a half. We have different thoughts, different feelings, different attitudes about all kinds of things that are going on. And somehow, as we read this, study this, buy into this, discard this, we come to a place where we have these convictions, these conclusions. That's why I said a couple of weeks ago, maybe. Maybe we put too much weight on one thing or another, or our feelings are weighing in too heavily and dis, uh, they're misleading us. We're all very complex people. We all have a range of thoughts and feelings, and it's the Word of God that pulls us back into truth and the way things should be. Let me hit another one. How does the earth swallow our enemies? Okay, great question. As we saw in the scripture, is that it's a picture that God used, and certainly in Exodus where Korah's rebellion, uh, we see that the earth literally actually opened up and swallowed people, but that was what was significant about that was it was God's provision for his people. He wanted to remove people from them. So that's a picture of what God might do for us, is that God might remove people from us. doesn't mean death. It just might mean he might relocate people. He might take them out of the picture. He may get them extra busy so that they can't influence you. This could even be a, a person, a Christian, that's really not fixated or focused on the things of God. And so what God's going to do is move that person away from you. God could also move you. He causes you to lose your job so that you have to relocate and go to a new community. Maybe find another church to worship in and connect with new friends. So that would all be ways that the earth swallows up because it's really what's happening is God is providing or he is protecting you as his child because he loves you so much. He cares about you so much. God can also do different things if money is, is in the uh, way. Money becomes your enemy, not because money by itself is an enemy. It's because your heart is bent towards money. So all of a sudden, God will say, oh, I need to remove that idol from you. So God may cause you to lose your job. God may empty a bank account. He may cause a stock choice to go south. All kinds of ways that, the, again, that God can move to change the environment, to change the situation. God will also do positive things. We also look at uh, things in the negative, right? Uh, removing people and stuff like that. But God may say, hey, I'm going to move you over to this new town or I'm going to move you into this church because I want to provide for you. Well, how does he do it? He maybe brings some other friends ahead of you and say, hey, you know, you haven't been in church and I'd love for you to join me in worship at our church because we're growing, we're studying the word. And so God will use positive things as well. I hope that gets you thinking about how God uh, talks about this picture that now you're going to remember, right? Because it intensifies everything that the earth swallows us up. I'm going to hit a couple more. They keep coming in and they're so good. 
uh, let me uh, hit this one here. It says, do you have a list of older books that you recommend? Yes, I do. And what I'd like to do is uh, encourage you to get into a generation before us some of the great books. So things like uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I think that's a must read. And you should grab that and read that and study that. I gave that to all my children when they were growing up, helped them study. I also think John Stott, uh, his uh, book just got rewritten. He, he passed away, I don't remember, 2004. But his book on the cross of Christ is unbelievable. He also wrote a small paperback book called Why I Am a Christian. It was in response to a book by an atheist who said, why I am not a Christian, and uh, great insights. And what they're doing is they're escaping some of our present times because these books were written uh, well over 40 years ago. And so they can help us. And uh, we can also post some of these books on our website as well to point you in some direction. But those would be two books that just come to mind very, very quickly that I think you, you should be uh, reading and thinking about uh, today. And I think they're accessible as well. In other words, readable. Here, here's a question. How do we do battle against the devil? It seems like people, even our own church, are battling each other rather than the devil. Uh, that's a great question, great insight. And one of the things that we see uh, with this battle is that's exactly what the devil's doing, right? He's enraged. Who's he enraged against? The church, the woman, and what he wants to do is divide Fox Valley Church. How does he do that? If I can be honest and I can be straightforward, he does it by social media, Facebook, texting, and all kinds of other comments that are overly political and insensitive and very, very hurtful. And it drives a wedge between the people of God. And so it becomes really important that we use these tools of God. And by the way, they are tools. We should be using all these tools to advance the word of God, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, in order to do that, uh, we need to recognize that the devil is using people in our own church. I'll just give you one very significant thing that happened. We had some friends at Fox Valley Church. They left our church because of posts that were being made on Facebook. A very hurtful post in the race area. Very destructive. And so they said, we just can't be a part of a church that has people like this. Now, I'm not saying they made the right decision, and I'm not even saying that uh, it was true of Fox Valley Church. What I'm saying is that people are careless in what they're saying, and that's how the devil is using these different things. Uh, even when we uh, had to go online like we are today, uh, some texts came in or some comments came in that were not helpful. They're, they're very, very hurtful. And what we need to do is recognize the devil is going to use all of us. So let me make sure I'm answering the question. How do we do battle then against the devil? Because this is some of the ways the devil's doing it, mostly through these, these methods and techniques. Uh, also by division in families, relationships. People won't talk to each other and encourage each other. But let me uh, say, how do we do battle against the devil? 
Well, we learn that from Jesus himself. Remember when he was doing battle with the devil in uh, Matthew chapter 4. One of the things we see that Jesus did over and over again was he quoted scripture. So when the devil knew that Jesus was hungry because he had been fasting for 40 days, the devil said, just, just go ahead and turn these rocks into bread, right? Just, you can do it. You've got the power. And Jesus said very straightforwardly, no. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice how Jesus saw the spiritual truth, that we need spiritual truth to live on it, and that we don't live on bread alone. The devil tries to get us focused on this. Here's one of the things the devil has done uh, very clearly in our culture. He has so distorted our culture with lies about the beauty of sex, about the beauty of womanhood, about the beauty of manhood. The enemy has just come in and sown seeds of discord, and he gets us focused on our feelings rather than what Jesus is saying. Focus on God. Focus on what God says. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it removes our feelings but the devil is constantly twisting truths. That's why I gave some quotes about lies, is that you tell something enough, like our culture is doing, about sex and gender and marriage and all this stuff, we start to believe it. And so what we need to do is combat it. So that's how we do battle. We also do battle against the devil by prayer, just constantly turning our hearts to, to God, calling out for God to help us, to strengthen us and uh, significant in, in doing that as well. So the Word of God, prayer, and I think it's indispensable to have people around you that hold you in check. Give your closest, let me be clear, godly friends permission to speak into your life. Do you see anything in my life that doesn't honor God? That's how you do battle with the devil. Man, the more questions are coming in. We're going to need to pause and stop. Let me go ahead and just close in a word of prayer. Thank you so much for participating. I know it was a little bit longer service, but I'm glad you could jump in and join us. And online, I'm so glad you're part of it. We're going to pick up in the book of Revelation again next week. We'll be in chapter 13. You're going to start getting introduced to the beast and who they are and what God means by them and what's happening now as the enemy continues to work his wiles in our midst. Let's not miss the gorilla. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you love your people enough to give us truth that is unaltered, unadulterated, that's clear, and that your spirit will guide us and lead us into truth so that we can know these things. So God, we just ask for your favor on all God's people. Again, we ask for healing. And God, we ask that you would direct us as a church in everything that we need to do and talk about. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Remember as we go off today that Jesus changes everything.